coming up in this episode. Um, you know, yeah. we talk a lot about emotional well-being and so on, but I think there's an intellectual well-being. There's kind of a meter to that where, you know, you're spending a lot of your time navigating conversations, thinking about connections, how the big picture falls together. You, you're absolutely right. There's there's an intellectual gas tank that, that needs to be refilled sometimes. So I think making sure that you have people that you can go to and just talk about it and uh, on you know offload onto and get proper advice and um, empathy from is really important so there's loads of like founder support groups out there and there's some really great ones so I think if you find one that resonates with you that can be um, super helpful and I've worked in fashion my whole career really enjoyed it worked in merchandising and marketing mainly um, for some big brands like Burberry and TK Maxx but five years ago became really passionate about sustainability the Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hi. Hello, Hello. Daisy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Very well, thank you. Yeah, busy day, but that's what we like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry I missed you last week. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Like, I, I thought, oh, well, 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 for sure, me. It's like, it's a networking event. But it just yeah. it's a testament to just how nuts that <laughs> that, yeah. that whole event is yeah. and I was going around speaking with people as well like that was my because I was volunteering and I, I still managed to miss you <laughs> were you there the whole evening or did you duck out after your um, pitch yeah no I wasn't there I think I left maybe about half nine I think oh right okay so um, re relatively early I suppose yeah. So, yeah yeah but I hadn't been to one of those events before it was All right. crazy how many people were there yeah yeah, it's nuts. Did you enjoy it, though? Did you have fun? Yeah, yeah, it was really great. Um, really great for meeting people. And it was great to see other people pitch as well and, like, yeah. hear so many different ideas. Because a lot of the time I'm just kind of in, like, the fashion world. So it's mm. nice to hear other things and ideas that are going on. So it's Yeah, meet, meet yeah. other equally crazy and ambitious people, right? Yeah. It's, it's just exciting. It's like an infectious energy you get off of that that sort of crowd, isn't it? So Yeah. 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 You know, it's yeah. I, was you... got to, I didn't even see your pitch because I was out the back speaking, you know, talking oh. people's ear off. So. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it, I saw the recording of it today, though. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. very scary. I was like, it took me ages afterwards to like stop shaking. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Had you not done anything like that before then? Or was it just... not in? Um, no, I don't think so. Not really. Not mm. not something so spur of the moment because I. I kind of went and was like, oh, yeah, I'll pitch, but just didn't think I would, you know, get called. So then when yeah. I did, I was like, oh, it's actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good way of doing it as well, which is kind of like he says right at the beginning. It's not, um, you know, it's not necessarily going to appeal yeah. to any investors in the room. It's just a really good place to practice. Like if you can yeah. do it in front of a, a crowd of 200 people, like jeer cheering and screaming and all that sort of stuff, then you can yeah. you can do it in front of a few investors. Like, you yeah. know, it's yeah. a good, good like, uh, dry run, you Definitely. know. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So you're That's there awesome. every time? Uh, I try to be, yeah. I, I missed the one before because I was unwell. Um, but I try to, I volunteer and try and help out wherever I can. Like, yeah. I know Vasily fairly well. He's been on this this podcast before as well. And, um, yeah, like, you know, uh, he's a, he's just a, such a cool guy, a lovely guy. And he's got a very similar ethos to me, you know, which is, like, just do whatever you can to help other people like us, other founders and other people in the, in the space. Like, so that resonates with me. So as soon as I sort of met him and found out about him, I was like, dude, whatever you need, tell me. Mm. Like, I want to help. So... 
Um, yes. And he, he knows that I like to talk and meet people. So that's why he gave me the job of going around speaking <laughs> to people. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> so perfectly fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was going around primarily talking to people about the Slack community mm-hmm. and like giving them the QR code to get in and stuff. And then while I was there, then people were also asking me commercial advice because I was like, I'm also, you know, a commercial advisor. So is there anything that's bothering you right now? And people were throwing all these problems at me and I was just like, you're right, do wow. this, do this, do this. And they were like, wow, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it was great fun. Great oh, fun. Good. Good. Yeah. So welcome to the the, the craziness that is the, the show. Um, so as you notice, we're already recording. We just get straight into it. But um, I do have some semblance of structure in this. Not much, but some. Okay. Um, and that is uh, really the way, I think a good way to start is, obviously people can see your name at the bottom of the screen and I would have put something up in the edit as well about that. But you know, why don't you introduce yourself and your business to anyone listening? It's kind of your opportunity to do that pitch all over again in a way. Yeah, yeah you want to listen to it all again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, So I'm Daisy, I've worked in fashion my whole career, Um, really enjoyed it, worked in merchandising and marketing mainly um, for some big brands like Burberry and TK Maxx, but five years ago became really passionate about sustainability and quite realised quite quickly that the work I was doing wasn't quite aligned to my values anymore. Um, So my, I guess my journey to founderism (laughs) started really small I was just like what can I do on a really small personal level Um, so I started just shopping from small sustainable brands found these amazing brands and loved them and then I was like okay I wish I could shop these all in one place so I launched a sustainable fashion marketplace called Loft which was brilliant and it felt great to finally be doing something that was aligned with my values but I realized quite quickly Um, from talking to my customers that although most people want to shop sustainably they really struggle to find clothes that they love or that fit correctly Um, so I started working with designers I knew to make upcycled and bespoke clothing and I was like oh there's something really special in this and my customers were so happy because they they're part of that design process and they they've met the designer that's making their clothes so they have this personalized um, relationship with them and it gives them so much more value to their clothes so that gave me the idea for loom um, so that was a couple of years ago now so it was on a circular fashion accelerator um, and launched our mvp a couple of months ago um, so yes, yeah, so it's basically Loom is now like a fiver for fashion designers. So if you have an idea of something you want to make, you can tell us about it and our designers will chat to you. Um, or if you want to upcycle something, so in your wardrobe you see clothes that you no longer wear, tell us about those items and we'll give you ideas of what we can transform them into. Yeah, you've got you've got the pitch down to a fine art now. Haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> a few times. Yeah. Yeah, so so you um you've launched then uh, you're raising you're raising investment. How how have those things been going? You know how, how did the launch go and how how's the the raising going? Because that's um, everyone I'm speaking to is obviously saying very similar things. It's tough, mm. but um, so yeah, tell me about that. How's it been going? Yeah, so I think the launch was exciting. I was building Loom alongside another full time job. Um, I'm now working on Loom full time, mm. so really exciting just to get it out there and start chatting to people who are using using it um, and it's quite scary when you've been thinking about something for so long to to then 
you know get people's opinions on it yeah yeah it's super basic the website at the moment so you know there's so much that i want to change about it but it's doing the job of giving me putting something out there so that i can get people's feedback because what i didn't want to do was invest loads of money in something and then realize actually it's you know all businesses change so much so yeah. it's good to get that feedback and the raise I mean, it's a journey. <laughs> uh, I've never done anything like that before. Mm. Um, I think I made what I hear is maybe quite a common uh, journey or mistake, whatever you want to call it, where I started out by pitching to VCs, mm. um, and which was really great experience, definitely for pitching and you know meeting investors and what questions they have, but. I was one, I was too early for them. And two, I think unless it's the right VC, uh, I don't know if how well it's they work with like a sustainable business. Cause for me, right. I'm really passionate about circular fashion. Mm. I want to make sure that that is always the main focus. Um, so now raising from angels mm. and uh, I think it's just, you know, you, you're just building the, that network of investors and advisors, and you're just constantly out there meeting people and trying to get people along with your vision. And mm. it's tiring. Yes. It's <laughs> exhausted, but yeah. also it's amazing. And even, you know, even if it doesn't lead to an investment, when some of these people I've met, I wouldn't have met them otherwise and mm. learned so much from them. So there's definite positives, even though it's also very tiring. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that about sort of perhaps a common mistake of people going straight to VCs. Yeah, I've heard it a few times. Like it's um, you know, if if you're not familiar with kind of the the investing landscape, then it's kind of that's what you assume is maybe the thing to do. Especially if you're doing some online research, that's generally what indicates you to go. And and also because of I think partly you know a lot of the, a lot of founders want to think they're a bit further along than they are a lot of the time yes. <laughs> so so like if you look online and you're like okay what, what what stage should i look for vc and it says oh when you're at this stage oh yeah i'm at that stage yeah yeah no i'm way further along than needing angels <laughs> surely you know i mean but it's interesting because the vast majority of advice i'm giving to people right now when mm -hmm. i'm speaking to a lot of my clients and and, and doing my pro bono sessions is not to worry so much about investment yeah like, to be honest because it's so time consuming and it just yeah. takes takes people away i'm like if you've got an mvp if mm. you've got something that people want to pay for just start getting money just get because yeah. that's the best kind of money is the one that you don't need to pay back yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah a lot of a lot of the work I'm, I'm working with people now is just like how to make the money how to make the business profitable you know but um yeah. But it's uh yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to do especially this time of year but um but so you know the, the angel thing then is that you'd say it's a fairly new new approach but um mm. have you had some interested parties is anyone sort of wanting to to commit at the moment or are you waiting for a lead investor to sign on like where, where's all that so i've got some soft commitments people are really interested in the vision for loom mm. i think like you were saying it's still really early days so people are really investing in like me at the moment and yeah, like yeah. where i could take it um and I think, like you were just saying, when you are fundraising, it does take up so much time. So it's that balance between making sure that the business is still growing and I'm mm. not you know, just leaving that on the side and, yeah. and also continuing. So um, yeah, and I think with the VC thing as well that we were talking about before, what when, as me, someone who's like never really spoken to investors before, never really been an entrepreneur in that way, um, 
I think when you start researching it, it's just VCs are always the thing that come up first. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another reason why people automatically go there because if you yeah. know, it's and it's easier to reply to that because you know you just send your deck in and then you might get in a meeting with them. Yeah, that's it. You don't you don't need like almost the sales skills of reaching out to random strangers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you exactly. just fill out a web form and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost easier. Whereas mm. you know when you start reaching out to angel investors, it's like how do you find them and mm. So it's a very different um, experience. Yeah. Have you been using uh, ShipShape? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Really clever idea. Yeah. Yeah. Dan was at the, uh, Daniel was at the the event, wasn't he, on uh, the CEO of ShipShape on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Really good platform. I come across it a few months back. He's been on as well. And so is his co-founder. He's been on the show. Really lovely people, really intelligent. yeah, I highly recommend anyone who's listening to go and go back to that episode and listen. All those episodes, actually, both both of them, Alistair and Daniel, they're, they're both really interesting guys and have a really interesting approach on the way because they've they've been through the same problem as you. So that's why they've yeah. you know they they've decided to do it, which is the whole point of like starting a business, right? You you build it around the problems that you know. So, so yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, so uh, uh, the launch then itself, um, you know, how, how's that been going in terms of? you know getting new people using the platform and 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 your designers like how's that all coming together yeah it's been good so we launched with 10 designers uh, mm-hmm. two months ago now we've got over 50 oh, so wow. that's great Fantastic. so that's super exciting and in just a month that's incredible yeah so what, to... all people who have signed up like themselves on the on the website or is this people you've actively gone out and spoken a to mixture, actually so right. at the beginning it was me you know reaching out to people in my network and now people are actually signing up online and i'm reaching out to them to find out more which is really exciting wow that's awesome um and then we've had 10 projects um, posted on there and had our first customer a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, it's so very early days, but it's great. And yeah. it's so great to start speaking to people that both designers and customers about how yeah. they're using it and how to make it better. So. And and that's really great to hear that you're doing that too and taking the time to reach out to everyone that's interacting the platform. Cause that's something that's that surprisingly little founders do at this stage when it's so integral and like yeah. you know not only just because of you know for all the reasons that are obvious like it can help you build the platform so but because you can go to investors and say you're doing it like yeah that's super impressive for two investors to say we're, we're going to keep building this company based on what what our, our users tell us like that's so important because mm. all too often you know investors give like yeah you know, here's a is two and a you know two thousand pounds and then go and build they go and build something that no one's asked for (laughs) (laughs) so it's uh yeah it's really important so well that's fantastic so 10 projects submitted so you mentioned it's like similar to fiverr we we spoke about this before so i am familiar but just just so like reiterate to listening so similar to fiverr in that someone can submit a project and then people can kind of bid on the project or like say you know designers can say i could do this like and then you can select who who you want right yeah exactly so you kind of tell us either if you know what you want or about the item you'd want ideas for us to upcycle and then you can see all of the designers profiles and they'll start reaching out to you so you can chat to them directly through the platform and then they'll send you a quote once they've got all the information they need Mm. yeah and how are the quotes i mean are they pretty reasonable generally yeah i mean it's it really depends on what you want but i'd say if you're if you're wanting to upcycle something it's probably between 50 to 100 and it depends sometimes you can turn it into multiple things as well like a dress you could turn into a skirt and a bag and some earrings or something like that 
Um, if you want something totally bespoke, so we've had quite a few wedding projects for dresses come through. Yeah. That can range from, you know, three, four hundred to the thousands, depending on what you want to go for. So yeah. Yeah. it can vary. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I love the idea that you can get an item of clothing and get like several things out of it. Like that's, yeah. that's always like a really cool prospect to me. Yeah. yeah and we've actually had some crossovers of the like wedding world and the upcycling where brides want to upcycle their wedding dresses into something they can wear all the time That's so, right, yeah. yeah so for example working with someone at the moment to turn their wedding dress into a jumpsuit and dye it a different color and then she can wear it you know all the time rather than having a dress that she never wears that's really clever yeah because if you know the amount of times my wife says you know she when we're like cleaning things out she comes across a wedding dress she's like i wish i could wear it again and yeah. i'm like put it on it's fine but like <laughs> <laughs> but realistically you know it's not really the type of thing you'd wear out and about i love that idea it's like you know turning it into a, a different kind of keepsake you know even even something like if it was turned into multiple things like like you were saying about a set of earrings like a set of jewelry even yeah. if that was something you were to wear all the time but it was to you know it had a piece of of, of your your wedding you know dress yeah. in it and i'm thinking now about my my wedding suit like i never wear that thing like, it would be great to, to turn that into something else yeah you know although technically you can wear suits whenever there's something about it that's just well it's also quite garish so <laughs> it is yeah 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 it's very green uh but uh yeah i look like a leprechaun but it's um but yeah so i'm not sure if it's appropriate to wear attire for most events it's definitely a wedding outfit do you know what i mean but mm. but yeah that's made me think i might have to i might have to put it up there and see what people come back with that'd yeah. be interesting and i yeah. think that's the obviously unlikely to throw away your wedding dress or your wedding suit but mm. there's so many other clothes that you have in your wardrobe that you don't wear yeah. Yeah. and so a lot of the time if you're trying to be good you might take it to a charity shop but even mm. then a lot of those clothes still end up in landfill so it's also about giving those clothes a new lease of life and diverting them away from the deserts and where all these clothes end up is that is that the ultimate mission then just really just to try and prevent this this insane culture we have of just just throwing everything in the bin or mm. you know just 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 filling the landfill is that the main the main vision or are there other yeah, exactly that. So just trying to make the fashion industry more circular. So mm. even when you buy something sustainable, that still means it's kind of has an end of life that you might still throw it away. And yes, mm. if it's made with organic fibers, it will eventually decompose, but there's still a linear life cycle. So you're still buying it and then throwing it away. Whereas yeah. if you have a circular economy, you keep using it. And rather than throwing it in the waste, you can, you can always find a new use for it. Um, so I had a dress that I, I bought, a maxi dress, and I just, for whatever reason, no longer wore it. Mm. Uh, so I turned it into a skirt and a top. And it's just a simple thing, but now I wear that all the time. Mm. So rather than it just sitting there or me, you know, taking it to a charity shop or throwing it away, it's now got a new use. Yeah. I think as well, like a lot of people I know love this idea of upcycling their clothes, but just don't have the confidence to do it themselves, right? That's yeah. everything, or, you know, or they don't really have, they can't really afford to learn because if, if mm. they learn on a piece of clothing, then they ruin it and then they'll be sad. Like, it's just yeah. like, so just, you know, having someone else to be able to do it is, you you, you mentioned as well about like um, how non-synthetic clothes, they might decompose. I learned recently that while that, while that's the case that you can get clothes that decompose in, in a reasonable amount of time because of the dyes and stuff they use yeah it's still really bad for the environment anyway so it's completely completely pointless a lot of the time yeah it is so 
Um, I almost want to say don't don't get me started on this because there's so many things I could talk about. But... No, I do want to get you started. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing. Go tell me all about it. Like, oh, and, and I'm also quite ignorant to it, so it's useful for me to learn about. Yeah, there's. Um... So when you buy clothes, there's also, yeah, like you said, the dyes that they can, you know, release toxins um, back into the environment. Um, but also with recycling, that's quite a big, uh, I guess, there's issues with that as well. So if you buy clothes and they've got a mixture of fibres, it's so difficult for us to recycle at the moment. So although you might think it's doing good if you give it to someone to recycle, unless it's all cotton, um, as an example of one material and that's like the labels and the stitching as well it's going to cause issues and it's actually going to be quite expensive to recycle it so mm. it's the best I think the easiest and simplest solution and probably the best is to try and just make things circular and reuse them rather than throwing mm. them away or trying to recycle them yeah no I agree and, and like in the same way that there's the same issues with a lot of different um consumables tech being a good example of like yeah. you know, mobile device and so on the revolution of uh you know uh, the right to 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 repair um and upgrade and all this kind of stuff is is an equal movement which is just like because if i i personally and this might be a controversial thing to say i don't know but i think the whole recycling thing is an entire scam yeah to be completely honest i think it's a it's a huge scam and it has been from the start the, 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 there's no incentive for these companies to really or even your local government to actually recycle much yeah. of much of the stuff that you do for, for the reasons you just said the vast majority of it is mixed materials like mm -hmm. even with plastic like the vast majority of the plastic we use can't be recycled yeah and then on top of that it costs them money to recycle it so what do they do they ship it all up to china and it goes into the sea or landfill anyway so yeah. it's it's all a load of rubbish literally yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's really difficult um but there are some amazing companies and startups out there as well mm. so i recently was working with um someone who was on the circular fashion accelerator that i was on called small but perfect mm. and she has a studio and she can actually take mixed fibers and um, break them down. And then they have a special agent that they turn into like a leather product. So you oh. don't have to separate the fibers and you can turn it into this like leather material. And mm. then they can take the product back once you're done with it and turn it back into the material again without any waste or, you know, any water usage, or, you know, any any kind of um, like by byproducts kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so there are some amazing companies out there that are starting mm. to do these things, but they just need support and money to research. So yeah, well, that's it. And it's just a shame that it has to be in the private sector where these things are, you know, these these innovations are being made when yeah. meant to be an infrastructure already in place, you know, publicly to to solve this problem. And it's just not. Right? It's, yeah. it's quite frustrating. But yeah, that that um, that accelerated. Tell me a bit more about that. How did that come about? How did you get involved with that? So. I so my last business was in sustainable fashion so I was kind of in that world already and heard right. about it so it was a circular fashion accelerator called small but perfect which was supported by fashion revolution and um, the world fair trade organization and they chose 26 projects and gave them 18 months of support so you had one-to-one -one mentoring you had um, there was three boot camps where we went out to different cities across Europe and they gave us um, information, how to build our network um, around circular fashion. And it was all about 
taking sustainable businesses or businesses that weren't and trying to make them more circular so again mm. that focus on not just being sustainable but becoming circular mm. that's good so what were some of the key things you think you learned from from that whole experience i mean it gave me a much better understanding of how circular businesses can work and how, what mm. models um exist and also just more of an understanding and knowledge about sustainable fashion in general and all the different solutions and problems as well that are out there mm. um, but I think the main takeaway for me well too it gave me the grant to make loom which was amazing so I'm mm. um, but perhaps more importantly than that was like the networking and just the support that we got from not only the people in the cohort but the events that they put on for us and yeah I would say that meet the people that I met was the biggest thing that I took away from it. That's it. You know, it's funny. That's always the, the 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 answer with a lot of people that I speak to about these different programs and things like that. the most valuable thing are the relationships that you take mm -hmm. away from these things. Just like you saying about how you know doing doing the investment, um, uh, you know, doing your raise and like how that even if you don't get any money there's from from that there's still a huge amount of value in just speaking with people i mean that's where i, I like i like to think this is quite useful too because if it puts you out there you know it puts, yeah. well, it puts us both out there you know and, and people can learn a bit more about you as not just as a ceo and a founder but also as a person mm. you know because ultimately that's how we connect with people right you know yeah. so i think that's um yeah it's really interesting that you you've said that that sounds like a really cool program so so what's um what's next uh, obviously you're you're invading you're you're invading you're raising um but you know presumably you're also just going to keep keep pushing forward keep getting more users on board like what's the plan to sort of just bring, take things to the next level are you yeah what's what's on the agenda there so a big thing for me at the moment is organizing our first events which is really exciting so mm. Okay. We're doing a panel talk next week at Curve Club mm. and uh, I'm moderating it and I've kind of got my dream panel actually. So I've got right. um, Scott Stanerland is one of my business advisors as well and he's a sustainable fashion um, ambassador and fashion model and uh, Ashita Cabra who's the founder of By Rotation, um, a rental app. Um, Esther Knight and Patrick McDowell, so um, wow. circular fashion uh, designers. Mm. So for me, I'm like, I'm really excited just to meet them yeah, and yeah. ask some um, questions. So we've got um, a panel talk, a Q&A, and then drinks and networking afterwards. Mm. Um, so that's super exciting. And then we've got more events coming up, some focused more for our designer community. So we've got mm. a panel talk with some of our more experienced designers on how they set up their brand. And that one's more aimed at people who are interested in starting their own sustainable fashion brand. Mm. Um, and then some pop-ups towards Christmas, which we're partnering with other uh, like-minded communities. So that's a really big step. Yeah, that's really great. And um, like, that's a well, it's a it's a hugely underrated way to get your platform out there as well of just doing actual physical events. So people just think that because you have an online platform, that everything, all of your activity, sales and marketing wise, needs to be online. There's a huge amount you could be doing in your local communities to to get the word out there. So it's really great that you're doing that. That's awesome. Um, with the uh, with those um, the, the panel that you're talking about, mm. then so how did you, how did you manage to to, to nab them? Uh, <laughs> your, your dream panel. How did that come about? Um, to be honest, just through people. Yeah. So, uh, don't ask, you don't get, right? So you just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest uh, things I've learned, actually, because it doesn't didn't come naturally to me. But right. 
that I met Scott when I was showcasing Loom at Fashion Revolution's Open Studios. So they had their um, Open Studio in April where some of the projects from that accelerator got to showcase their work and then also do a Q&A session. So mm. I got in there and then asked if he would be interested in meeting for a coffee and then he became my advisor um, and then he's introduced me to a couple of other people on the panel. Um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of come around in a roundabout way. Yeah, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's what it comes down to. That's Yeah, well, what do you mean by that, that you've sort of been learning that more? I think I know what you mean, but can you expand on that, that you've been learning more about, you know, don't ask, don't get? Because that's, a, that's yeah. an interesting thing. You, you weren't particularly comfortable with asking for favours. Is that what you mean? Or um, I think so. And I... I think for a lot of my life, I didn't really like asking, putting people out of their way to do things, if right. that makes sense. So yeah. I would always, I guess being a people pleaser, I'd always want to make sure other people are happy and uh, I'd feel uncomfortable asking for something in return, unless I'd done loads for them and felt like, okay, yeah. like I, I deserve some of your time. And I think especially when you're like me a founder in an early stage business a lot of the time I'm asking for things and I can't really give that much back at the moment yeah. I will in the future but right now it feels like a lot of takes so um but I've learned how much value you do get from that so I I do it a lot now <laughs> probably all the time if I meet someone I'm like oh that's amazing I'd love to learn more I'll always be like oh can we go for a coffee and can I learn more from you um and then hopefully i can repay the favor later down the line <laughs> yeah but even if you don't i don't think people mind you know that people yeah. are just happy. you'd be surprised how many people are just happy to help especially in the you know the startup community because if there's a lot of empathy because of you know a lot of the people you speak to have been there yeah. at some point themselves or you know it, when it's people talking about what they're passionate about too like yeah. then they love they just love to hear the sound of their own voice sometimes so it's you know you know i know i certainly do when it comes to you know giving out my free advice to people i just i love solving problems and i love to see people succeed mm. and so it's the same sort of thing like yeah it's um it's interesting and i'm glad that you've you've overcome that somewhat because there's a lot of i think there's a lot of traits um in in being a founder that are uncomfortable mm. initially but you need to get comfortable with, like I always say, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Yes. Because there's so much uncertainty in being a being a startup founder that you, yeah, that, that you're going to have to live with it. And there's definitely some personality traits, you know, being trying to be a bit more of a the, the focus of attention when you're in a room, mm -hmm. you know, commanding commanding an audience, you know, being a good public speaker, like all these things that are not natural yeah. things, you know. Like, how, how have you found some of those other things like maybe speaking to a crowd like because you just did that on Wednesday right you, like you said you, you know not something you've done before are you mm. getting confident with that is something you've always been confident with or uh so I think with I think the pitching event I was very nervous about that um, yeah. but it was more of a spur of the moment thing and I think with sometimes uh things like that just always put yourself out there and then you know what's the worst that can happen in a way right right exactly. even if it went horribly wrong I picture was... everyone naked right that's the, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um so i think is put, putting yourself out of your comfort zone is really important and i've been doing a lot more speaking recently which i mm. have been very nervous about before but i always i think as soon as i'm sat down or standing and i start talking especially when it's you know about circular fashion and i'm so passionate about that um 
yeah as soon as I start talking I'm like oh it's fine and I actually really enjoy it because I'm mm. it's, I'm just so passionate about it and yeah. it's not really it doesn't really feel like I'm even though I am you know promoting myself and the business it feels like I'm just talking about something I want people to learn more about right so it's fine um and, and I think that's really important because that comes across right yeah because it, it's it's essentially it's sales right mm. this is what this is what you know I spend the vast majority of my career you know I have spent the vast majority of my career talking about is that the key skill of founder needs at mm -hmm. any stage especially early on is sales skills mm -hmm. and that they are not as scary as people think they are you know mm -hmm. if, if you if you if you were to look online you would think sales is some kind of like thing close to being a surgeon that it's like yeah. this incredibly complicated it's not it's the arts of communication that's all it is and one of the key aspects of any kind of you know engaging conversationalist is that they are engaging by being passionate and adding a narrative to what they're talking about and so yeah. everyone's got that within them because mm -hmm. if you're like you're passionate about sustainable and circular fashion like as soon as you open your mouth and start talking about it you're automatically engaging because you care and yeah. you make other people care so it's you know it's really not rocket science i don't think it's just having the the confidence to start opening your mouth and yeah. let the words fall out you know and it might be the case that you're a bit rubbish to begin with but the more you do it, the better you get, right? Yeah. I, like I always say, aim to be shit at something before you can be good at it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, but you've just got to do it first, right? And yeah. and it's great practice. I, I'm really glad to hear that you're doing a lot of more sort of public speaking and stuff like that too, because that's another. I think that's really important for a lot of reasons. Psychologically, um, mm -hmm. it's really you know it helps with confidence. It can really help you feel um, a lot more um uh stable in, in your decision sometimes to be a founder which is you know quite often you can be second guessing yourself but more than anything it prepares you to be in front of some pretty uh scrupulous characters you know yeah. you, might, you might be pitching you know whether that's future customers investors whatever i think it's an incredibly useful skill to yeah. be able to do that incredibly useful good for life in general as well right yeah and i think you get such a uh sense it's so rewarding when you feel like you've done something you've never done before mm. you know that you were nervous about it and you did it anyway and then i think you it just gives you more purpose because you know that you're growing and you know that you're progressing so even if it's a really small thing yeah. um if it's a big deal to you and you do it then that's amazing mm. um, but i also do think that there's the balance between you know putting yourself out of your comfort zone but then making sure that you have time to recover afterwards as well because once you've done that you know sometimes afterwards you're just like oh my god i'm exhausted <laughs> well it just depends how much you drink when you're at these events right that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> but it, no but it can be emotionally draining though you're absolutely right yeah. like, I think, and, and intellectually draining which we don't talk about often enough if you are enjoying this episode please subscribe like and share your thoughts in the comments um you know yeah. we talk a lot about emotional well-being and so on but i think there's an intellectual well-being there's kind of a meter to that where you know you're spending a lot of your time navigating conversations thinking about connections how the big picture falls together and you know when we're in social situations we're quite often making those connections introduced to that person and you're in your matchmaking and this that and the other and you know there's a lot of you know um things firing all at once there and i think yeah, yeah you're absolutely right there's there's an intellectual um gas tank that that needs to be refilled sometimes um so so yeah that you need to recharge yeah absolutely yeah put on a good movie one night and you know just not, yeah. not do anything take a day off uh you know that yeah. sort of stuff yeah, yeah. what's um 
aside from your own events, are you you planning on going to anything else? You've got any other speaking engagements coming up? Any 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 sort of notable dates in the diary that you're quite excited about? So there's some events coming up um, with Fashion District, uh, who put on amazing events. So a lot of panel talks and workshops. Mm. They've got some events that are coming up. Uh, later uh, in autumn, which I'm really looking forward to. Don't think the dates have been released yet, but um, if you're into sustainable fashion, you should definitely look up the fashion district because they're brilliant. Mm. Um, so yeah, looking forward to those. Um, but no other speaking yet, but would love to. So if anyone wants me, I'm I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know if um, yeah, I don't know if it'd be interesting to you anyway. But there's a the, there's a local thing to me because I'm based down in Eastbourne. There's a Digifest that's this this month um, towards in a couple of weeks actually. It's the first ever event of the kind in our area, and we've got a few quite a few um, specialists coming down, different founders and so on doing speaking. I'm speaking at it. There's a few other, in fact, a few that were at the event on Wednesday that are that are speaking on a specific topic. You can always reach out to them. I don't know if they've they've um, they've reached their 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 capacity for speakers yet, but yeah. um, but they're, they're, yeah, they're a lovely they're a lovely group of people. Um, I could always introduce you if you were interested in speaking with them. Um, and it's in sunny seaside town of Eastbourne, which can't go wrong yeah. there. A lot of people I know who are making the trip down from London or whatever, they're just like, I'm just going to stay a few days. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like the end of summer in a sea, in this at the seaside. Like, why not? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, yeah. yeah. No, that would be great. Thank you. What about um, what about exhibits and stuff? Like, obviously, there's a lot going on in the fashion world, where there's always different kinds of events going on. But but do you find that it's quite difficult to find something that that meets the the criteria of what it is you're doing in the sense that it's, it is circular and sustainable fashion as opposed to just mainstream fashion to a degree or or is there a decent amount of crossover there where actually you could you could you could go to some of these sort of fashion exhibits and you would have a home there and you'd be welcomed with open arms i think sustainable fashion is becoming more and more of a like a hot topic in the fashion industry i think yeah. everyone everyone knows that it has to change and obviously it's really difficult the bigger your company or your brand is to make those changes but there's more and more noise about it and I think there's you know with exhibitions there's always something going on that you can go to um so I, I think generally people are very pro sustainability um it's just bringing that to life and making those changes that are needed. And I think mm. it's a lot easier for smaller brands to do that um, or startups than for these massive established brands because it just takes so much uh, change within their supply chains and their whole business for that to happen. Mm. Yeah, which is a shame because, I mean, you could argue that they have an ethical responsibility there, but of course they also have a responsibility to their board members to make money. So it's a, it's a bit of a difficult situation. I mean, it's just like any business, I suppose, where there's, uh, there's the ethical and environmental responsibilities but yeah implementing them isn't is as simple as that is it like you know you could look at a well we could look at any company but especially like um energy companies as a prime example of that where it's just you know embedded and and it, and it seems like fashion fashion uh companies um or, or brands or whatever you want to call them or whatever they are called i don't know uh <laughs> you know they it's almost synonymous with um cheap labor right yeah uh and that's yeah. a huge problem i mean that's like the other extreme i mean like some companies are just there's i don't think there's even any trying right to right. To, to make any uh positive impact within that but i guess when your model is based on selling clothes that are like 10 pounds 
unless you change your whole business model that's not gonna mm. uh, you're not gonna be able to do that and i'm not saying that that is an excuse like they probably just shouldn't exist mm. <laughs> but um yeah it's yeah there's some i think some of the fast fashion brands out there is crazy there was a stat i read recently where we've got enough clothes on the planet to um dress the next six generations wow. so we've already got so many clothes out there and uh it's scary mm. the amount that is already existing like we don't need anymore <laughs> and yet and yet some people still don't have access to clothing which is yeah which is disgusting yeah but um but the thing is don't you think that i mean the, the the very industry that you're part of even if you're you know involved in it and, and over here mm. is still it, you know everyone's accountable for it in a sense because yeah. the reason why clothes are continuously being developed even though we've probably got too many and why they're you know they're not accessible to everyone and all that kind of thing is because the fashion industry is based on this cycle of trends and it's yeah. based on seasons and it's based on always trying to sort of get the newest thing and, and create an, a new interest in something like so so doesn't everyone sort of bear that responsibility fairly equally to an extent yeah and i think there's it's just changing your mindset about your relationship with clothes mm. so i think when you're so used to um seeing all of these trends and you feel you're so used to being able to buy stuff all the time not just clothes anything um you you always you kind of it's addictive right like even with like you were talking about phones earlier when like a new phone mm. comes out you're always tempted to be like oh maybe i'll just upgrade it and get it or you know there's we're just so programmed to always want the next thing mm. and we haven't really had you know we haven't really had it put in our faces before when we're thinking about the actual waste that that causes yeah i think now you know we do know and i think it's becoming more and more common knowledge of you know the issues that are out there um so i think it's just trying to change your mindset and i think you know there's small things you can do i remember one of the first things i did was like unscribing from you know fast fashion brands so that i wouldn't even get tempted because i wouldn't get the email with like the sale or you know whatever it is yeah, yeah. yourself and uh i think that value that you have with your clothes as well so like mm. Uh, some people have like a capsule wardrobe so they have their basic clothes that they have and then they'll get extra special pieces but even just investing in things that are good quality so you know that they're not gonna you're not gonna have to throw it away because it breaks mm. and you know if it's really cheap it's probably not worth getting mended but rather than getting loads of those just investing in some really good pieces that are tailored to you that fit you perfectly and that are gonna last you for ages so mm. it's just uh as with anything it's just breaking a habit is quite difficult but it is and also i don't think it's possible for certain people like you know yeah. the, the vast majority of people don't have or uh, aren't in the position where they can make those kinds of financial yeah. investments for clothes or you know things like that and and um or just don't don't have the time or both yeah. you know what i mean like to, to to consider these things so it's it's difficult because you know fast fashion exists for a reason and yeah. in the same way that you know like I, I love tech right so I, I will buy stuff that I probably don't need tech wise I usually sell it afterwards you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an avid eBayer because I buy so much junk <laughs> as well um but like um but you know I know I know for a fact that that that's a, a I'm quite in a quite a privileged position of having that bad habit because I can afford to buy these things but you know for most people it's buy something that's cheap because that's all they can afford and then they have to throw it out and get a new one a couple of years later whether that's because they've you know 
bought a cheap keyboard that breaks on them or or, or even you know cheap clothes like yeah. so it's it's difficult because the, you know the responsibility is on all of us but mm -hmm. um but i think for for the vast majority of people who who were just trying to get by like uh, you know it's not their fault you know yeah. a, a good example of that is my you know kids have you got kids i can't remember did we talk about that before you no, no. So, so so then this is an interesting scenario so um my kid he's eight he's just started year four and um uh the amount of shoes that boy goes through is insane right like it's like a new pair of shoes every couple of months i'm not i'm yeah. not kidding like and it's not because he outgrows them it's because they get destroyed and like and then of course on top of that there's the school uniforms and mm. you have to have multiple school, school uniforms is a whole other thing that's a fucking scam if i've ever heard one but anyway um <laughs> maybe we can we can dice maybe you know that more than i do but that's that feels like a scam uh business right there um and yeah you know go through so many things like what can you do in that situation you have to just chuck them away like these these are ruins like mm -hmm. you know can you upcycle them probably but like you know the amount that you go through every every you know year and you know the uniforms and the trousers and the socks and then the p kit and like mm -hmm. it's just so much i think that's when it starts adding additional pressure you know a young professional couple that's taking home sort of between them you know 50 to to 80k a year okay you can probably justify mm -hmm. spending a decent amount on your clothing and buying more long-term stuff but as soon as you add a kid into the mix yeah like oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know we just need to buy whatever yeah <laughs> So it's, a, yeah. it's difficult, isn't it, you know? Yeah, and I think it's, um, I don't have a lot of experience with children's wear, but there's, it's finding those ways to make it easier for people as well. Because yeah. like you said, even if you don't have the money, maybe, or even if you do have the money, sorry, maybe you don't have the time. Yeah. So it is finding those solutions. I did see something um, recently, which was like a sole that you, a thick sole that you can put onto shoes so that that wears out so you don't have to throw your um, shoes away. So that mm. it's kind of another way to help extend the life. But yeah, it's hard and I completely, well, I uh, sympathize for you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a nice, every, almost, it's almost, it feels like it's almost every other week I open the yeah. bin to put something in it and there's another pair of shoes, kids shoes yeah. in the bin. And I'm just like, yeah. how? how is this possible because it because don't forget he doesn't just go through his school shoes he goes through his regular shoes too so it's always like a pair yeah. of shoes in the bin i'm just like what this is nuts you know yeah. and it's just, oh, it drives it drives me mad but the thing is that you don't want to buy something that's going to last because he's going to be out outgrown mm -hmm. it anyway within a set period of time so it's just like well what's the point kids kids fashion is an interesting area when it comes to sustainability because mm -hmm. there, there doesn't seem at least to me to be any obvious solution on how to how to deal with that like i've always thought with kids stuff in general there should be like a circular uh industry based around it whereby mm -hmm. like you get a load of stuff to look after the kid based on their age you then pass it on the next person who's, whose kids come to that age and then you get another thing from somewhere else and it kind of just all moves around which yeah. in some ways it kind of does through like third party marketplaces like facebook and so that but just more of an official thing so like mm -hmm. you, you know you could just say my kid is this age you get all the stuff and then every month it just changes over like that would be so much easier <laughs> i think those there there are rental things that do exist for children with that yeah yeah i suppose um, yeah. yeah i think like you were saying it's just if they get worn out completely right and that's the problem they mostly do because they're they're made they're not made to last
Yeah. So perhaps, perhaps there's there's an opportunity for someone listening out there right now to start a business to make kids stuff that really, really lasts mm. and then rent it to people so it can just move around. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's the key. Make make shoes out of gold. No, gold wouldn't be very good. Titanium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. Titanium kids' shoes. Yeah. And also I stop them running around as much as well. Yeah. Fucking nice bit of peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is another brand, I think they're called Putty Plea, and they make children's clothes like really high quality that actually it's, um, I'm not an expert in it, but I know of them, it, it grows with the children as they as they um, grow. Oh, interesting, so okay. Made with like pleated materials so that it can, you know, it lasts more than, you know, a year or however, or even less than that. That's smart. Yeah, that's, that's that, I'll have to look into that. That's a, quite a clever idea. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, something that just yeah some sort of uh weight either the design or the fabric itself that can yeah can, uh, yeah that's interesting hmm okay i might have to look into that just just out of curiosity more than anything else yeah yeah because I'm, I'm sure it's probably way out of my price range <laughs> you know i've got to keep the money to buy on useless yeah. tech yeah. That's, <laughs> that's my thing but yeah but um well you said earlier on that like there's there's some element of um or a few elements of of the the sustainable fashion and circular fashion world that you could talk about, uh, you know, till the end of time. So what other areas uh, and problems are there that you see that maybe aren't being talked about enough that you could shed some light on? Because I'm interested to learn from you, right? What what is some of the stuff here that that isn't as obvious that we should be aware of, uh, aside from the stuff maybe we've already talked about? Yeah, so I think um, it's hard sometimes because things that seem obvious to me aren't mm. obvious to other people until I and I don't realize that until I have conversations because I'm in this kind of echo chamber of <laughs> right you're in the world right yeah. so so yeah exactly just imagine that I'm I'm a complete yeah. idiot, which I am so it's not too difficult to imagine <laughs> and just educate me on the whole thing right what is okay first of all what is fashion no I'm joking yeah. maybe not that but you know what I mean like what's the yeah, yeah. I think a blank slate with sustainability there's it's just taking small steps so I think when you buy something just even being interested in what it's made of is like a really great first thing to look at because I think you'd be surprised even like really um you know quite expensive brands use really bad materials so mm. I think all it this is obvious, but like always trying to buy stuff that's organically or, you know, at least like a natural material so that it won't last forever. Um, mm. And if but, you... but isn't that the difficult thing? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, you no, aside, but, but isn't that a bit of a counterintuitive thing? Because we're talking about wanting to have clothing that lasts for a long time. But then and the reason why we have synthetic materials is because they, they do tend to last longer. They're a bit more hardy and things like that. But then, of course, they're not biodegradable so then we have this problem so so what choices should we be making there but i think the so you can have clothes made of natural materials which are really strong and they're going to last more than your lifetime okay they uh will eventually biodegrade in a safe way whereas mm. you can buy i mean if you look at the fast fashion uh websites and you buy their clothes they are uh polyester which you'd think would be uh potentially more hardy and durable but it's not and it breaks straight away so okay. i think it's well, if you're buying something that's well made and it's made from natural fibers it doesn't mean it's not going to last you for a very long time it, what, defi what defines well made in your opinion so a few things so i think making sure that it's it's uh designed well um and also fits you well so right. um 
those are two like I think everyone's guilty of buying something because they liked it and then actually they never wear it because it doesn't quite look right or um and and if you do do that you know you can get your clothes altered and I, I know these are all expenses but um mm. I think if you can afford it then it's a good solution to have and you'll you'll find that you then start wearing these clothes more and they mean a lot more to you as well um and I think if you when you get clothes that are tailored to you 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 do automatically have so much more value because you've met the tailor that's perfectly fits to you and it feels like something extra special mm. um so yes I think that's for materials and then I, th I think just start like just being curious is the first thing so like what's it made of you know does a brand even have a sustainability page on their website mm. um, when they make claims a good thing is just is, are there any facts because if they've put the effort in to actually make something sustainable you'd want to shout about all these amazing facts like all the co2 that you've saved or the mm. way store so if you see a fact i think that's a really good sign if there's just like a general statement um probably not so good <laughs> yeah yeah like you know we feed our kids lunch twice a day that make these players so it's not yeah. like, as impressive yeah. as certain things yeah i know what you mean that's interesting because I, I never really even considered to check the label and see what my clothing my items of clothing are made out of mm. um or, or to yeah look at the company but there's something that i should probably start doing um not that i buy that many clothes but and uh, actually that's that's a, maybe an interesting thing to bring up which is you know do you find that the vast majority of people interested in this are generally biased towards more women than men is there a is there a clear bias towards you know gender bias in this in this world i mean fashion as a whole but also mm. in, especially in the sort of sustainable and circular fashion arena do you find that or is that because of you know it's not something that i would have ever considered looking at this kind of stuff is that just because it's because of the way i shop because i'm a man or because if it were, you know, or is it just because of the way I am and actually I'm an outlier there? I don't know. I think it's, I th of fashion, I would say, is obviously more heavily weighted to women generally. Right. Um, so I guess sustainable fashion maybe as well, just because of how it is in the broader industry. Yeah. Um, but I think if you are a person that's interested in sustainability, then I think your clothes is probably one of the first places that you might start with, because it's something you normally would buy maybe fairly regularly. Um, and there's some amazing sustainable menswear brands out there. Um, Oh really? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I I don't know on that one. I don't have the facts. Because I always feel very. I've always felt very underserved by the the really? fashion and clothing industry as a man, and I, and most men I speak to feel the same way. And in yeah. fact, I was literally having this conversation with my wife yesterday at the dinner table when she went out recently to buy more clothes for our son um, yeah. uh, because he needs them before going back to school. And she was talking about how the selection is to even worse this year. It's not like it's it's suddenly got worse. It's always bad for boys and men. Mm. Very limited choices. And then you've got, you know, right next to the boys aisle or the men's aisle, huge areas for girls and women. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, men just don't feel included in the conversation, let alone feel like they have a voice to demand anything. So it's interesting to know that there's a sustainable company. Can you name a few? Do you know any? Yeah, so... Um... So there's one called Batch London, and they do batches okay. of uh, like casual suits. It's men and women. Um, okay. Surplus, I can send you the links as well. Um, so they use surplus material to make their clothing. That's cool. And I really love their style. It's kind of some of it's a bit like um, 
talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> right. Kind of style. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Very smart stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, I like that. I'm looking yeah. at a suit jacket. <laughs> oh no. What have you done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some others. There's another one, I think you pronounce it Che. Um, right. Che Studios, they have like sustainable menswear as well. Um, so there mm. are brands out there. I'm not so familiar with it just because I'm not, haven't been a part of like menswear world for a while. But yeah, I think it's interesting what you were saying that it's clearly not as well developed an area as women's wear. It's um, not, which seems like a missed opportunity for me because of, you know, there's, um, you know, men have just as much, if not more, disposable income as women. Uh, boys, like I said, especially go through way more clothes than than young girls because they're a nightmare and they just get themselves into all kinds of predicaments that ruin their clothes. <laughs> like, so it's just you know, and and like you said, you know, for for the longest of times, I feel at least at least with my you know my experience in my circle, I can't speak for all men, but mm. that, that men are generally under served in the fashion and clothing industries that we don't have as much choice unless you go to the very higher ends yeah. and then suddenly you've got a lot of choice but you have to spend a lot more money um, yeah. other but generally speaking it is pretty bland you know this i mean that's why i opt to just you know i'm not particularly i'm not really making a statement with what i choose to wear you know because I, I, maybe if i if i had more options maybe i would but yeah so, you know i'll throw in a nice shirt every now and then but that's that's about it and even then it's it's um it's the case of just finding what fits yeah. because you know and what looks semi-decent and i'm and i'm not i don't feel like i'm able to make uh, or include sustainable decisions in that and so on because i'm limited already yeah so i'm just buy it from here because this is the literally the only place that sells what i want you know you know what i mean so it's um yeah it's interesting and i'd also you know be interested to know maybe from people listening and so on what they feel like but you know the, the opportunity to upcycle for men too like you know like i said like i've got a suit you know it's, yeah. it's needs upcycle. i've got a lot of clothes that sit there that don't 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 get used so i wonder what could be done with those you know yeah, yeah. and i think that's the the one of the issues is people just don't have time and they don't want to spend loads of time researching you know sustainable menswear brands unless you're super passionate about it like so right. I guess you have to have a predisposition yeah. towards it, maybe. Yeah. Really. yeah. And yeah. like, you know, if you speak to people and you say, Oh, would you prefer to shop sustainably? I think most people would say yes if they can, yeah. but it's just making that really easy and accessible. So exactly. That's the key, I think, to all of this conversation about sustainability and 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 eco-friendly and all that is it has to be done in a way that can slot into people's lives and, and yeah. not disrupt them too much, right? In the same way that companies, if they need to make the choices, like you said well that you can't uproot their entire business strategy and and their, their economics it has to be something that's relatively easy to implement yeah um, that's just the reality of the way we are as people right yeah and i think that's why um one solution is for companies to be forced to you know to make more sustainable decisions mm. and in europe it's quite interesting because they're introducing product passports um where you have to be able to say for every product where it's come from and you know where it was made and all the information behind it um when you sell something which mm. is now putting more pressure on companies to really look at their supply chain and make it more sustainable because it's going to be so obvious if it's not mm. um, so i think things like that as well more like systemic change will definitely help yeah um, i mean i i'm all for stuff like that but then equally 
you know, something that you, you may have noticed from speaking to me in the past and maybe especially more now is like I like to look at things from as many angles as possible. And while that sounds like a really good idea, I can also see the huge negative impact that could have on a business in the fact that they would have to spend an enormous amount of time and resources yeah. in actioning that, which would then inevitably pass on that cost to the consumer. So yeah. it's, it, you know, it's a bit of a, a double edged sword, that one, while it's great. Yes. You know the the average consumer that can go out and to Primark and you know spend twenty quid and clothe their entire family. Suddenly, mm. that's not going to have the same effect because because of this law that they do not care about. That you know they don't care yes. about this regulation. They don't care where it comes from, um, but then they're hit by it. You know, it's like this is the problem with a lot of these a lot of these civility and and environmental um, uh, things that we're implementing. Is it, it has a knock on effect to the end end customer, which is a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not easy. Um, and then at the same, there's like a, I guess there's like the two ways because you've got all of this climate change and we've got this climate crisis, which also unfortunately seems to affect the people who um, are, you know, are already in like third world countries or like, you know, in a not a good position already. Mm. Um, so you need to do something to stop that, but then also, it seems to have the biggest effect on those people who are already struggling, you know, yeah. like yeah. afford it or so. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. And, and I suppose there's a really um, maybe unorthodox position to be held, but I have heard talked about too, which is, you know, we talked about the labour issues with some of these these uh, clothing companies um, and the ethical situation there, but. Um, I've heard someone talk before about the fact that in certain areas in third world countries, these things are like the lifeblood of these communities. And without them, there'd be these communities wouldn't be sustained at all. So while it's like, you know, absolute pe peanuts, at least they're alive, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, it's, and, and, and there was I've heard stories before about, you know, companies closing down some of these uh, sweatshops, if you want to call them, that, I don't know, you know, factories, whatever. Um, and as a result, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people have suffered even more mm. as a result of these things closing so it's like it, it's difficult again it's a double-edged sword nothing's simple right nothing's black yeah. and white and you know you could yeah okay there's there's um there's issues there with with maybe the treatment of of, of these individuals and the age of some of them and so on but um but sometimes something is better than nothing you know yeah i'd say with that i think the first thing is though making sure that they do get paid even if it is really small because there's so many big brands that just haven't paid these oh really uh, like factories since like covid and big brands like nike and so there's mm. there's a, millions that's still unpaid so yeah i agree shutting mm. them down can cause you know havoc for those people that are working there relying it but there's, there's yeah. a fair a fair trade system in place for clothing right yes yeah, yeah it applies there too right you know because i i know more about food i i'm the i'm the the chef at home so i i deal with all of the food side of things and so i try and be conscious about the sustainability when it comes to food and the fair trade and so on like that that seems like a good approach there mm -hmm. where you know as long as it's because there are issues with that system too as long as it's being upheld properly yeah um, but no that's surprising i didn't know about that what what what, what is the the reason these companies are giving for that like is it just uh, it, I don't think they really touch on it, to be honest. There's no, complaints. Yeah, there's uh, the uh, pay up campaign. It's been going on for years to make these companies pay their employees, and um, I don't know if I've ever seen a statement from one of them as to why not. 
I think mm. they've kind of got away with it and uh, so people are trying to campaign to make sure that those people do get paid but yeah yeah bastards yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I um I noticed on your on my left but your right hand sorry this is a completely separate topic so you, you've got you've got some tattoos on both your your, your arms yes. and your hands but you're on your right uh wrist I think it is you yeah. have the um uh, what was it from uh is it the norsk symbol for fertility um so i have a lot <laughs> so, so yeah that, like oh right yeah you have got a lot this They're all one norsk actually symbols. um is elvish <laughs> okay right yeah that one is but the ones that are on my hands are nordic runes they're nordic and the, the one on your your right wrist so this one? that one yeah if it, no the so further down sort of more on your arm yes. that one there that is that the symbol for fertility um and i recognized it so it's for fertility and also like guidance oh okay oh yeah no i think the one i'm thinking of looks a bit more like um more like the figure eight mm -hmm. maybe yeah but it's but, it, but yeah it's more like diamond shapes maybe yeah oh interesting why why um why elvish and norsk <laughs> um so i have always been fascinated by nordic culture and i have just been researching runes and I got these my hand tattoos done a while ago and just chose ones that had specific meanings that I wanted to be reminded of so whether it was like protection or positivity um and so that's why I had my hands and then this one I am just a massive Lord of the Rings fan. oh really oh cool <laughs> yeah. um and so my friend had started tattooing and I was like oh I'd love to she was looking for people to practice on mm. and I was like oh I'd love to what could I get done and I was like oh I'll do that <laughs> that's awesome and do you have any more is it just your hands and arms um I have a lot actually so I've got um I don't know how many um, probably about 12. <laughs> you stop counting after a while. Like, yeah. it just doesn't, it, it's one piece, right? People always ask me, I'm like, I don't fucking know how many yeah. tattoos I've got. <laughs> it's just tattoos. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're just very addictive. I mean, they some are. of them now, when I look at them, I, I got them done a very long time ago. Probably wouldn't get them done if oh, I yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, vast, the vast majority of mine, I feel that. Really? Way. But but, the, but at the same time, like I don't regret getting them because they no. meant something to me then. And a lot of people ask me that. Like I'm sure you get that all the time. But people who don't have tattoos, which is rarer now, to be fair. But like, do you regret any? It's like, yeah, of course I do. But I'm comfortable with it. You know, like. Yeah 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 and there some of them i really love as well and there's like artists that i'd followed for a really long time and then managed to get some of their work done so oh, cool. then it's really special and mm. uh so yeah but there's definitely a mix of very good and very bad but yeah i can sympathize <laughs> with that for sure i've had I've a good few years break from getting anything now and i'm itching because my wife went recently she's covered as well and and um she, she's got some beautiful tattoos. Um, she's found a recent tattoo artist that does amazing Disney stuff because she loves oh, wow. Disney, Disney cartoons. So she's got a whole leg dedicated to some, you know, old school Disney cartoons, you know, Aladdin. Oh, and all that. Yeah, and she loves it. And so she recently got more work done um, on her other piece that she's working on around, which is all like sea creatures because she loves all the sea creatures. And uh, oh, I'm so jealous. Just, jealous, like, yeah. Yeah, I just want to go again. I just, I just haven't got a, I haven't got the time, and b, I haven't found an artist because my artist that was doing my, my, um, my sleeve wow, has disappeared yeah. off the face of the planet, and we can't find him. Nice. So yeah, we can't book him, and and it's unfinished. It's, uh, it's, you oh, know, no. it's like, yeah, he started doing all of this, and and it's unfinished. So I need to find someone 
you can yeah. kind of flow into that style and, and somewhat finish it and then make it their own a bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, but then just finding the time to do it because it's like this bit here. Oh, I don't advise. Yeah, I was going to say never, very brave. <laughs> never again will I ever get any elbow tattoo. Oh, like, it's wow. not. It's not technically finished as well. Um, that was a whole day and it got towards the end of the day and I was like, dude, I can't, I can't keep going. There was like an hour left. I was like, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I, just can't, I was feeling sick and like, oh. Oh. see, I'm, I guess I'm lucky in a way because I don't have anything that's kind of, um, oh, the only one that I guess is kind of is I've got a, um, a hummingbird here, but apart from that, that is shaded. So oh, right. yeah. a lot of mine is kind of all like outlined, mm. um, so I have never had to sit through like such a long session. Yeah, so, I like I, that look though. That 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 outlined look. It's it's really nice. Like, I, yeah, there's some things that I got. I wish I'd maybe simplified it and done that sort of approach. Um, yeah, so maybe really nice. you do that for your next ones. <laughs> yeah, maybe, especially if I go anywhere near the elbow or any other joints. Yeah, <laughs> I, I uh, similar to you. I, I had these symbols done. Um, oh yeah. And there, there are actually set two under my wrist, but you can't see them because the other tattoo kind of goes around them. And these are um, these are symbols representing neurotransmitters in the brain. That oh, represent really? yeah, that represent the different chemical pathways. So serotonin, dopamine. Uh, adrenaline and the other one which i can never pronounce i think it's icrocycline or something it's the it's the neurotransmitter responsible for dreaming basically mm. um and i've always liked the idea of you know the symbols that we find in nature mm. um, yeah. and what they represent which is really which is really cool but i i the reason why i mentioned the one that you that i saw there yeah. i thought it was the symbol for fertility is i tattooed that one on my wife oh, um, a few years back yeah when we were going through ivf which eventually was successful um after four years of trying we were getting a bit a bit oh, fed awesome. up yeah and, uh, and yeah and I, I i was learning how to tattoo just as a hobby not because yes. i ever wanted to make a career at it just because i was curious because yeah I, I do i do i used to do a lot more in uh, in art and mm -hmm. so I, I was like well let me try a different medium i've never picked up a, a you know a gun before so mm -hmm. let me give it a go and so I got it and I was, you know, mucking around at home and my wife was just like, yeah, that looks pretty good. You can do me one. So, yeah. so I did her a couple. Oh, um, that's exciting. I've always yeah. wanted to try that. So how did you practice? What were you practicing on? So I practiced on just like some silicon, like fake skin that you can buy. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And then, and then I practiced on my own leg. Oh, okay. And <laughs> yeah, how yeah. Was that? Yeah, it was all right. It was very different than the, the, yeah. than the you know the thing because obviously you know skin moves around and you've got the shape mm -hmm. of a, around the bone and the muscle and all that. So that's why I was like, I did a few. I I, I speed ran it right because I'm impatient. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to learn to do this commercially or anything like that. It's just a hobby. So I just yeah. I did a few. I was like, okay, I think I get the idea, feel for it and so on. I was like, right now I'm just going to do my own leg and then, so I just did it. Um, so I did freestyle a couple of things on my leg and I was like, okay, I think I've got it. My wife saw them. She was like. That's pretty decent. Do you want to do me? I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, and then as soon as I did that, I was like, right, brilliant. Put it away. Never touched it again. Like, yeah. I've, you know, I've done that now. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's really interesting. I'd, I've always wanted to try a stick and poke. So actually, most right. of my tattoos are stick and poke ones. Oh really? Okay. Um, interesting. But yeah, never got round to it. But I'd love to. I'd love to be able to do it. There's probably you know little like classes out there you can do with with, with professionals who, you know for people yeah. who want to like learn it go for it i think as well these things are really important like when you've got interests and hobbies outside of your career there's they become so important when your career becomes quite um 
quite an all-encompassing and, and, yeah. and time-consuming and stressful thing. Like the things that you do outside of it become way, way more important and weighted. So, mm. you know, anything you can do to take your mind away from these things. And I find tattooing, I'm sure you do too, to be one of the most relaxing mm. experiences. It's like getting a massage. It's like, yeah. you know, especially I've, I've never had, I've never had one in that style, but I've heard that that's even more therapeutic and almost a spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's so what you're saying about having another hobby is so important because I think it helps you relax. And sometimes that's when you have your best ideas as well as when you're yeah. not super stressed all the time. I did a, um, a pottery course last summer mm. and one for my birthday this year. And I enjoyed it so much. I was so bad. But that almost makes it better because you have no expectations of yourself. Like exactly. you're just going there to enjoy it. Um, and I think that's one of the key things about these types of hobbies, especially when they're creative hobbies, is mm. you have such high expectations of yourself in other things that you do to go yeah. into something where you're just like, it's okay to be shit at it. Like, you know, some of what I said earlier, like aim to be shit at it yeah. and get good at it later. It's like, it's kind of, it's it's freeing. It's like, you know, no one's relying on me to make this be amazing yeah. which quite often is the case when you're a ceo especially as you have team members and so on it's yeah. just like i can go in and i can screw this up and it's fine yeah. like yeah it's liberating but pottery is really cool i, I used to do that years ago i'd love oh, to really? do yeah, yeah I've, all the, I've tried all the mediums like you know at one point in my life i was convinced i was going to be an artist so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, i have i have two paintings here actually that have I want you to guess, guess when you think I started this painting. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, wow. Guess when you think I started that. I have no idea. 10 years ago. I said I haven't finished it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It looks amazing, though. Thank you. Yeah. And then this other one here. This is, yeah. Another, I, I do a lot of, like, fantasy and yeah. sci-fi stuff. It's not coming through. Yeah. Oh, that one, amazing. eight years ago. I, I guess you've got almost the most difficult parts of each one left <laughs> the faces yeah. and the eyes <laughs> yeah exactly well it's um it's one of the reasons why i don't know if you saw on linkedin i'm doing my outhouse i'm converting that into my new office oh, I see. Oh, yeah, so, um, that's an ongoing project at the moment and the, one of the ideas of that is it would be an office space for me because i'm in the living room currently which is a nightmare with the kids running around and stuff um and then also have a studio space to actually try mm. and get back into it because yeah. of, I, I need to practice what I preach, right? Talking about hobbies and things like that, mm. you know. Oh, so you designing, is it up yet? Are you are you midway with designing the studio or? Um, well, the, well, so the building was already there. So it's just oh, an okay. outfit thing, but it was just full of junk. So, um, and it was just a breeze block building. So, so now I've, you know, insulated it. I've put a floor in. And so like the main, the main sort of structural stuff is yeah. pretty much done. I've just got a panel, the ceiling now and, stuff so there's a lot of uh yeah diy before getting onto the the mm. practical and cosmetic side of things it's still a bit more and you know I'm, i had a week off where i did most of it and now i'm just doing it weekends and topping yeah. it up so hopefully in the next month or two i should be in there yeah Fingers crossed. oh that's so exciting a good project yeah. to have as well yeah and i used to do wedding portraits as well i used to actually oh, sell wow. them you know, do yeah do, people would send me the photos of them and you know whatever photo they wanted recreating and i'd do like a huge version of it or even just couple portraits, kid portraits, stuff like that. So I want to get back into that because if 
you know, it's really rewarding to just sit there and be focused on something creative. You know? Yeah, I wish I could paint. I can't. <laughs> no, I think everyone can paint. <laughs> I could do like an abstract thing. Um, but my granddad paints as well. I've only seen a few things that he's done, but um, I wish that I had inherited that talent. <laughs> See, and this is an interesting thing. I don't believe in talent per se. Mm, right. Okay. I, I don't really believe that there is such a thing as kind of an inherent or. or, or oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't think that's the way it works. I think with enough passion, mm. um, anyone's good at anything. And yeah. some people might take more naturally to something, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that they are more talented than anyone else. You yeah. Know? That's my perception of it. Like, like when you look at someone like um, Usain Bolt, you say, well, he's naturally talented in running. No, he. He he's had he has a biological advantage for mm. running, and then he's had years of training, yeah, <laughs> which got him to that point. Like, so not everyone could do that because there's a there's a biological a disadvantage other people would have. Be like me, I'm I'm tiny and I've got shorter muscles and you know shorter legs, so obviously I wouldn't be able to run as fast. But I could still become a fast runner if I decided to. I yeah. wouldn't be very bold, but I could, you know. But no one's going to say, oh, well, that's a natural talent, you know. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think people forget the, the forget to pay attention to the part where people were really bad at something for a really long time and just go, oh, you're really talented. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think you're right about you can learn anything if you set your mind to it. Um, and also, I think it's how you learn. So I also teach piano. So that's one of the oh, things I do okay. <laughs> to keep myself going. And uh, it's really interesting seeing how different people learn. Right, yeah it's um it's really rewarding and it's great to know like how if you change your style of teaching it can benefit people so much like you have to be quite flexible in what you do especially teaching adults and children yeah. um, but particularly in adults you notice how much your your um mental state affects your ability as well so like if someone mm. comes in, they're super positive and even if they're bad they really concentrate they'll always progress much faster than someone who's like gone in there and normally everyone starts good because they've they're an adult and they decided to pick up a new hobby but i think as an adult picking up a new hobby sometimes it's harder than when you're a child so there's kind of have to exactly what we were saying before kind of just accept that you're not going to be amazing straight away but just keep right. going and i think when people don't pick it up really quickly they're like oh um they're really hard on themselves even if yeah. I think they're doing really well they're like oh no i want to i want to get better faster so adults we are as adults very hard on ourselves about yeah. everything we don't we, you know because i think it says this element of thinking either a i'm a grown-up so i should be able to do these things quicker yeah. <laughs> or b there's this ticking clock element yeah which is like i don't have time for this like i've you know either i'm too busy or my life is you know going away before my very eyes i've only got a certain amount of time before i can learn this thing before i'm 40 or whatever and it's like dude it doesn't matter yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got loads of time and even if you run out of time before you end up being good at this thing guess what you're not going to care yeah <laughs> you'll be gone <laughs> like, yeah. you won't be lying on your deathbed thinking oh i wish i'd learned piano like yeah. it's like it's like, you know it's, it's not not that big a deal just enjoy it but yeah. we get in our own heads very very well kids don't have that as much they no. just, uh, a friendly reminder to share this episode with your network subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments it really helps us out thank you you know they get frustrated yeah exactly like my son he's been learning recently how to use blender which is um a 3d rendering software oh 
and, wow. Yeah, and like he's blown my mind with with how good he is, considering he's only eight years old. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, watching him use my computer and kind of go through that process has been really fascinating, because you know, for a kid that gets in trouble for not you know sitting still or paying attention in school and all this kind of stuff, he was sat watching a YouTube tutorial that was about four hours long. Wow. you know yeah over a period of months telling him step by step how to do this thing and he's did, yeah. done it to an amazing standard but he screwed it up like six times and had to start again every single mm -hmm. time and you know he was frustrated he was going but he was like no i'll do it again mm -hmm. like i wouldn't i didn't see that with other things that he's done yeah. so like this again to your point about the the teaching style i think plays a huge part in that you know mm -hmm. um, and the way that someone learns because yeah. if he he learned by making the mistake Whereas in school, you don't get that many chances to make that many mistakes like before you get told off. You, you do a few, but not as many. Yeah. Um, especially if you're in a classroom full of people, other kids, all maybe some are succeeding. And then it makes you think, well, why am I not succeeding? Oh, screw this, you know. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting how, how, we le how everyone learns differently. I find it infinitely fascinating to watch my son learn something or anyone learn something. Yeah, I, I can imagine. It's very fascinating. Especially because you see them from, you know, a baby and then all they're always constantly learning. It must be yeah. um, a really amazing experience to see that happening as well. Yeah, and then we've got a seven-month-old as well, or six, oh. seven-month-old as well, watching him sort of, you know, learn all kinds of things, picking things up and just even watching him the way he uses his hands. Like, he's now started doing this, picking right. things up like this so delicately. Like, like this. And it's like, why is he... <laughs> How did he what? learn that? Like, why has he turned into a crap? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but so, so you're um, a pianist. Uh, I don't think I've ever had to say that word in real life before. Pianist. <laughs> um, it's such a risky word. I don't know why. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, so is that something that you, were you classically trained? Did you used to perform? Like, what, what, what's that? Um, I was classically trained, but I don't perform. I get very terrified of performing in front of people oh, really? I love teaching yeah so I'll play for myself I'll play for my partner but if he sometimes I can hear him like creeping up and then listening and then I get nervous and then I mess it up <laughs> no, no, that's such a shame. So, yeah but I I love I love playing and I find it really relaxing and mm. uh, and I love teaching so I've I've done that since I kind of finished my grades I started teaching and I've always done that no matter what job I've had on the side so mm um yeah i'm really grateful that my parents uh helped me to learn it so mm. yeah yeah i had piano lessons when i was a kid too so did my brother it's not something that that took to me the biggest struggle i had was reading music that was the biggest struggle i had i just yeah. couldn't wrap my head around it um uh so i ended up picking up the guitar instead and, and learning by 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 ear basically yeah and i found that much more comfortable learning tab and and learning to just mm -hmm. listen to music and then playing it um but yeah reading sheet music i always really struggled with that and it's a skill that i really wish i had, had learned um mm -hmm. i'm not sure why because i'm not a musician now but mm -hmm. there's something about that skill that I, I i get very envious of people who know it um yeah well it's always interesting because i'm almost the opposite because i can read music but i'm yeah. always more uh envious of people like you who can just sit down and like play something whereas i would right. struggle more with that i kind of rely That's to have interesting there. Mm. it's just how our brains are programmed differently yeah that's interesting isn't it because i'd have assumed that even with your classical training and knowing how to read music you would still 
probably be able to do that actually if you yeah, think i could but it just doesn't come as like naturally to me right so, because perhaps uh, you're overthinking it somewhat yeah because you're, you're applying a uh, a, a system to it yeah. that doesn't really need to exactly. be there right yeah. yeah yeah so i've i've taught people who are more inclined to just you know sit down and improvise something the mm. basics and then they just run away with it and i'm always like oh wow that's really impressive <laughs> yeah there are some people who are just insanely naturally talented like so i a uh, bit of backstory I, I did go to college originally to uh to, to learn to be an artist, dropped out of that, went back to college again because I thought I was going to be a, a musician, dropped mm -hmm. out of that. Um, but along the way, I met a lot of um, friends who were very musically talented, incredibly talented individuals. Um, and the first company I ever founded, actually, which is this, 3SM, was a um, a music promotions company. And we used to put on open mics and then band nights and stuff like that. And so th throughout my life, I've met incredibly talented musicians mm -hmm. and creatives. and there are just those occasional individuals you meet and you're just like how like they, they can pick up any instrument and wow. you know what i mean and you're just like yeah. how like, i know a guy who's an amazing guitarist amazing singer songwriter amazing <laughs> drummer like and he's not like mediocre at these things he's like wow. the best i've heard at all of those things yeah and I'm just like it's it's incredible like you know mm. Yeah, and how these people aren't famous, I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, that would be amazing just to be able to pick up any instrument. Mm. So, what kind of music are you? If you're classically trained, I'm going to assume you have some interest in the classics. But do you? But but you know, what what other genres do you like? And this is me just being completely nosy now. But like, uh, to be honest, I do really love classical music. Mm. <laughs> so I listen to classic FM a lot. I play a lot of classical music um and i just find it really relaxing uh, but i'd say particularly if i was to narrow it down like more like romantic music right. um, and like ian aldi um so love playing his music right just sitting down just playing anything but yeah i'm definitely a classical person <laughs> I know very little about classical music, I'm afraid, so I, I wouldn't be able to. But is that uh, Ian Aldi a composer, a pianist? Yes, he's a modern composer, um, right. and he does a lot of, I mean, it's fairly simple in a way, so it's kind of nice because a lot of my students can learn it um, pretty quickly, some of his like simpler music or simplified, and uh, it's like a lot of broken chords, um, mm. but it sounds really lovely. It's kind of like film music, so it's... Um, kind of very emotional and uh, atmospheric. Um, mm. So yeah, I would say playing film music and uh, classical is what I love to to focus on. It's, it's funny because I had um, Gabriel of Tutti on. I don't know if you're aware of him. No. No, you, you would get on very well with him. Another founder, um, he's launching a, or has has developed and launched, I should say, a, um, a SaaS-enabled marketplace for, um, for for those in the creative spaces to be able to find venues for things like rehearsals and oh, film productions and things like that. And he comes from a family of a long line of classical musicians. Mm. Um, and his wife is actually a classical musician as well, who tours all around with the quartet wow. and stuff like that. Very interesting guy. And, and, and I've worked with him. He's a client of mine. Um, and, uh, and also I've had him on the podcast and we've talked at length about all different kinds of stuff and similar sort of thing. He obviously brought up classical music and, you know, that's kind of what he grew up on, uh, being surrounded by it. And um, uh, and similar thing, I said, you know, I don't know anything about it. But one thing that he's also very passionate about is movies. 
um, and uh, and being in the film industry and so on. And it's funny how there's a lot of crossover there. And you mentioned obviously about Lord of the Rings and so on. Like there's one there's if there's one area that um, classical music tends to touch all of our lives, it's in film. Yeah. Um, and you know, especially like just like Oppenheimer, you know, not long come out. You know, one of the best composers, um, you know, in the business um, involved in that project. Like it, there's uh, yeah, that, that that's my my the extent probably of my my semi-regular connection with classical music and for most people but yeah uh, I don't I think that's a bad thing so who was the composer for Oppenheimer was it Hans Zimmer oh, uh, yeah Hans Zimmer oh yeah, yeah yeah I mean his music's amazing and um yeah. I went to, I'm pretty sure it is um I went to see him live in concert and I would recommend it to anyone because first of all even if you don't know his name you'll definitely know his music oh yeah and yeah, yeah. you have like a live orchestra and live singers it's just so oh, no, it wasn't it wasn't it was uh ludwig gorison oh i don't know swedish composer oh wow oh i have to listen i haven't actually seen the film yet right um, oh no it says oh no ludwig gorison swedish composer scored films such as fruitvale station the rocky franchise creed creed oh. 2 venom tenant so he's worked with christopher nolan before and Oppenheimer. that's interesting fruitvale station that was a beautiful movie um Oh, interesting. Okay, I've not heard of him before. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Hans Zimmer is, is yeah, one of the more well-known, even even for people I don't think who were necessarily into that scene, they still mostly recognise that name, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but what about the, 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 who composed the Lord of the Rings soundtrack? Uh, Howard Shaw. Right. Yeah, because that's a beautiful score. I think that's one of my favourites. The um, This is going to show <laughs> how sad I am. But on the other day on Classic FM, they did like a countdown and it was like the 100 best film scores. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that was number one. And I was so happy about it because it is amazing. It's amazing. They, they have that show. You know, what time is that show? They, they do a, a, a film specific yeah, show, don't they? Every... I think it might be on a Sunday. I think it's. It? I thought they did something every day. Oh, do they? Maybe. I thought so. Maybe, maybe they used to. I don't know. That's it. FM film scores. I know we should probably look this up later. But because we're Saturday seven movie, I think. What is it? Sorry. Saturday seven till nine. Oh yeah, Saturday night at the movies with mm. Andrew Collins. Yeah, Saturday at five p.m. Yeah, cool. Because I remember, you know, there was quite a few occasions where I put on classical left and one cooking. Because mm. you know it's, it's 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 a nice thing to cook to, and it would come on. I never realised it was on a specific day, um, and yeah, it was my favourite one because of, I, I would quite often like to try and guess if they hadn't said what the film's from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you know you try and guess what it's from, and I'd be like, and the amount of times I get it wrong, I'm like, I should have known that. Um, <laughs> I used to go to a lot of comic cons as well for, because of my artwork. I used to do mm. a lot of, and um, quite often you would have film school playing in the background. And it was kind of a thing with you know you and like some of the other people there that sort of like which one is this which one is this yeah. like, who's the biggest nerd who can guess what this yeah. is from you know back to the future no it's et it's definitely et you know that kind of stuff yeah my um my family does a quiz every christmas eve uh with like the whole family and there's always like a music like a film music round yeah. and i love that one because i'm like I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at it, especially if it's multiple choice. I'll definitely get it, but yeah, if it's not, yeah, yeah. I'm likely to. So yeah, no. I'm because sometimes it's like you, you hear it. You're like, I know this. Yeah, I know this. <laughs> what is it? Because it, they, 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 that's the amazing thing about film scores. Like they can 
embed themselves into your minds and mm. as soon as you hear them you get all of the same feelings that you felt when you watched the film yeah. um even if you're not remembering any specifics but like yeah. you know right if you had to play especially to certain generations if you had to play certain scores like you get a, a very clear reaction you know play yeah. the score from et or back to the future or jurassic park you know things like that certain people you get those automatic visceral reactions to it and the same oh. with um, any music, like you, if you listen to a song which you listen to maybe on repeat during a certain time of your life, mm. it will. if you hear it again, I don't know about you, but it always will bring me straight back to whatever was happening at that time. Mm. Um, absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting because you know, perhaps I should pick your brains on this more, you know, off this, this you know, yeah. thing, but like classical music is something that I've always loved, but I, I felt like, um, I would need to put some time in to learn more about in order to appreciate like you know which which you know composers should i listen to which you know things like that um and it just feels like such a rabbit hole to go down i would love to know more about some modern composers like the one you mentioned that mm -hmm. i should check out because of you know yes i'm aware of the the, the classics to an extent the classics of the classics right mm -hmm. you know the uh, to an extent um you know the classic composers of, of our time and and you know and days of days gone and so on but it's the it's the modern classical music that i'd be interested to learn more about and sort of who's you know who's doing the interesting stuff like you know where yeah. is it coming from things like that but I, again i just wouldn't know where to start so. yeah to be honest i don't really know i'm not that I, I, if it's something that i've played before then mm. i'll know it but other than that i just uh i think it's also because it doesn't have any words to it and it's normally right. quite relaxing and so I just find it really soothing, especially if I've got like a lot on and I feel really stressed mm. to have that kind of music on in the background. But I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at all. Um, I think I think we need classical music more now than ever. This might sound like a massive overstatement, but like, bear with me, because I've got, <laughs> like, because I think there's so much noise out there, you know, in, in general. And if you listen to the radio, especially, um, and listen to what's in the charts and so on. I think it's a pretty commonly accepted thing in the music industry um, and by musicians these days that everything's becoming quite homogenous. Mm -hmm. um, from a production standpoint, everything's being compressed. From you know the a lyrical perspective, everything is starting to sound the same. Mm -hmm. um, there's not really any, really any content there. You know, tones of voice, the types of artists, like everything is becoming the same. Mm -hmm. um, there's even been some studies on it that, that that prove that that's a fact. You know, chord progressions and compositions and everything. It's just you know becoming less and less complex um and it's just not relaxing to listen to mm. you know it's not designed to relax yeah. it's designed to be viral mm -hmm. to you know go viral on tiktok and to have you know uh, girls dancing in front of their camera on it like that's what it's for you know it's and so you know the case for classical music that's actually somewhat stimulating Mm. that elicits a mixture of emotions and allows you to explore the feelings that music can give you, which is, I believe, a, what an art form should be for, to allow mm. you to explore your own self. Yeah. Um, there's a good case for us needing more of that in our lives these days, I think. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's why I like listening to it so much, is because it's kind of uh, like a break, basically. Mm. <laughs> Like it's something in the background. So I feel like, I don't know, especially if you're working from home alone or something, it's nice to have some kind of noise there yeah, and it's soothing yeah. and it's not gonna, I don't know. It's, it feels like it's nice for my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a brain massage and yeah. via your ears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, need to, I need to make more of an effort to 
to maybe listen to some more, you know, more classical stuff. Um, it also feels like you're listening to your very own sort of uh, soundtrack as well, doesn't it? Like yeah. Your own film score yeah. <laughs> which can be quite nice and also <laughs> i think all the presenters on there as well are just like really calming and like very beautiful yeah. and it's just like it it's you know it's going to be like a really positive vibe <laughs> do you know what i mean it's always like yeah and also yeah. <laughs> I, i've never felt as british as when yeah. i was with them as well like because the That's presenters true. are so british as well like yeah. you know you, you don't get anyone on there sort of going like, you're right, mate. Nice to see you today. Thanks for watching. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's very Queen's English. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Old school BBC, you know. Yeah. Like, Welcome to Classical FM. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's like, get your cup of tea in hand and get ready. Yeah, get, exactly. Get a crumpet and uh, <laughs> some jam sandwiches and we're ready to yeah. go. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, so um, do you think that you will ever perform live? um maybe i have spoken to it um with chris my partner about maybe going to um one of the stations where they have a piano and just playing to help me get over that fear um so i'll probably do that one day that would be good yeah uh, definitely yeah, yeah because i used to perform on stage and it's um it's not as bad it's similar to like we were talking about earlier about going up and speaking in front to, in front of people once you do it it's actually you get into the zone and you just you zone it all out I suppose the only problem with these uh, these pianos at you know and stations and stuff is they'll they'll probably frustrate you because they'll be incredibly out of tune. <laughs> yeah, at least if it goes wrong, I can just blame it on the. Piano. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, we all know that good musicians will blame the. Yeah. Blame the <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, I I um I wanted to play violin when I was younger, and I picked it up for a bit. Um, that's a beautiful instrument as well. Like there's something about yeah. the violin which always has, has spoken to me. It was stringed in instruments as a whole, a string classical instrument as a whole. But the violin's beautiful because of because of the um, the similarities and tones between a human voice. Yeah, um, is is like scare. It's eerily, you know. Uh, I mean, the strings are obviously a huge part of a, of an orchestra for that reason. It's like the vocal cords of the orchestra, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's incredible. It can be used to elicit some pretty impressive uh, emotional responses. Yeah, definitely. I actually, I did learn the violin at school, but haven't played it since. And I really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Um, and there's two, so the second number two spot was um, after Lord of the Rings was Schindler's List. Oh, my, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, God, that film as well. Yes. Like, yeah, and that and that score, beautiful. And that score, and that film. I mean, there are some some moments where you, in film where you see, you know, every component of it that just goes perfectly well together. And mm -hmm. yeah, that that score and that film goes so well together. It's insane. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Schindler's List that that score is probably always on that list, right? I'm mm -hmm. sure I've heard it on that list multiple times before. If you ask me what it was right now and how much you, I couldn't do it. But as soon as I hear it, I would recognize it. Yeah. So that's yeah. amazing. And another one, The Lark Ascending. Do you know that one? No, I'll, I don't know. I'll send you the link because it's a classical piece of music, mm. um, but it's a, it's it opens with a violin solo, and it's just amazing. Um, I okay. did go to see it live once, and it was like, it was just incredible because mm. it's just one solo um, violinist um, wow. at the beginning, and it's, you know, mimicking a bird and it just sounds amazing so oh wow that's nice it's funny because there's a lot of classical pieces of music as well out there that um that if anyone was to hear them they go i know this 
Mm, yeah, and, I think you would recognise it, yeah. Yeah, there's so many. And you're like, I know this. Couldn't tell you what it's called. Couldn't tell you who was the composer. You know, nothing. I think the other thing that's quite confusing for the layman about classical music is that, um, you know, there's a lot of movements. Mm. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, different, com um, you know, something can be composed by someone hundreds of years ago, but be played by multiple orchestras and, mm. you know, over the years. And so it's essentially like, uh, you know, the entire musical industry is built on the foundation of covers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically what it is. So but but I think that's confusing for people who want to get into it. They're like, wait a minute, it's you know, who's fifth in C sharp? But you know, like what does that mean? Just tell me what it's called, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've just thought of someone else that you should have a look at as well. Max Richter. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Max Richter. Yeah, so okay. he is a modern composer, but he does a lot, he does his own work, but he's also um uh like recomposed uh other classical music so there's one um vivaldi spring i can't remember exactly what he calls it but i'm sure if you searched his name in that it would come up yeah loads of stuff has just come up about him all oh, right british german composer he's done some movies that i um i like at astra yes. a few of us yeah okay yeah. See, now this is useful because now I have a name. What I can do is in Spotify, I can start a radio station based on yeah. him and then I can go off on an adventure. That's what I love to do with artists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Niels Fram as well. Probably. That name rings a bell. Yes. Uh, kind of similar, but more, I would say, uh, like more electronic music. Okay, interesting. So like a crossover between between classical and yeah that that's similar to what the Oppenheimer um oh okay interesting was I think there was I, I haven't seen the movie but from what I hear there's some some really interesting mixtures in there what's his name again Neil uh from so f-r-a-h-m I'm probably pronouncing that awfully and I apologize that's <laughs> right Neil from German musician as well okay interesting Okay, so well, thank you. Good start for you anyway. Yeah, 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 you started me off on a good path there. Um, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, really quick question before we sort of start getting into the wrapping up portion of the of the talk, because I, I, I'll be honest, I forget quite often that we're recording a show. Um, <laughs> and I just, so, which is kind of the point. I hope you feel the same way. It's just, a, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what was the question? Oh, yeah, you mentioned about Lord of the Rings. I wanted yeah. to ask you. Did you watch the Amazon series? Yes, I did. What did you think of it? I actually really enjoyed it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah, it was, I think there's always such a big expectation that it's yeah. really difficult for anyone to take that on. Mm. Um, and I don't think it was as good as the films, but I did enjoy watching it. Did you, oh, not, okay. did you not enjoy it? I didn't watch it. Um, oh, you watched it? I didn't watch it because... Yeah, I well, I watched a little bit and then I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, and then I watched the reviews to find out if I was missing anything, and the reviews told me I wasn't missing <laughs> anything. Um, and you know, it's know. but, but yeah. I, you know, and and I, I try to follow along with kind of movie and TV news, I suppose, mm. ish. You know, there's a few reviewers that I like to watch and a few reporters on sort of what's going on in, in the film world and so on, not just Hollywood, but kind of in general. And the general consensus was that it was kind of a uh, a bit of a failure and, a, you know, not 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 too great, let's just say, for a yeah, few reasons. I think, um, I think it was, um, it definitely doesn't have the, like, same... Uh, I think if I'd watched it I and didn't know it was related to Lord of the Rings, I probably wouldn't 
oh, apart from like, the obvious things, I would have thought it was like a like a, just another fantasy thing. It didn't have that same like a, right. a, a feeling attached to it. And I think that was part of the criticism was just that because it was so far removed from the source material that it was just yeah. like, why don't why don't you just do your own thing? Like you didn't have to, but it's that's Hollywood for you, right? You've got to yeah. you've got to tie it to a current IP to get money. Mm. So, but apparently they lost a quite a lot of money on that show because it was think, wasn't it one of the most expensive yeah yeah made? yeah it was like one billion or something like that to make the show yeah, yeah. insane no yeah. just interested to know what your thoughts were there because of um so it's, i mean we, we, were you a fan of the books originally or is it more of the movies of your entry point yeah and yeah, no, i love the books yeah was it that far removed then a series from from the books because i hear that they, so they i haven't read some of the canon there uh, so the books I've so the Lord of the Rings books are what the films cover. Yeah. Um, but then there's another book, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, called like the Similarian or something. And right. it's like more of um, I haven't read it, but it's I think it's like the whole history of Middle Earth, and right. that's what they based the show on was the beginning of that. I see. I, I see. I haven't read that, so okay. I didn't really have anything to compare it to. Yeah, I think it's hard, like some hardcore fans that, yeah. like, that knew the lore and everything, and they were like, "This is this is completely pissed all over that." And uh, you know, yeah. yeah. And then of course, there's always the controversies around, you know, race swapping and gender swapping and all that sort of stuff. Which, which you know, with certain things I can understand, other things mm -hmm. I don't think it's important. But like, you know, certainly in a um, in a a made up world mm. based heavily on. On Norse mythology, you know, and and mm -hmm. European uh, European culture and stuff like that, um, I can kind of understand some of the criticisms around that when you're when you're adding adding a, a diverse range of people for the sake of it just to get brownie points as mm -hmm. opposed to just honouring the material that was kind of given to you, you know. Yeah. Um, it seems yeah. to be a bit, a bit of a trend in Hollywood at the moment of doing that um, for just no reason other than just you know wanting to score political points. It seems. Yeah. Which is Shame, but that's a whole other topic yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah as we're coming towards the end then um uh, i'm curious to know uh and, and i ask everyone this um uh and there's no right or wrong answer i'm just curious to know what you know for those listening out there a lot of which are founders you know a lot of founders mm -hmm. watch listen to this um not enough uh we could do it more but you know some <laughs> um and you know investors and so on but but pr primarily founders um what stuff have you learned over this last few years in you know starting your previous company and then this one that you think that would be really useful information to to give out there to the world you know some pointers aside from you know listening to classical music that's an obvious one yeah, uh, you know, yeah. facing your fears you know going outside your comfort zone some of the stuff we're talking about what are some other things that maybe would be good to some tips so i think we we touched on it earlier but you know asking for advice and support and uh building your network i think that's one of the biggest things i've learned is that and one of the mistakes i made with my last business was not um not re reaching people enough and not building my network enough so i think it was a because of a few things i think you know i was like oh this is my business i need to make it work and maybe i was a bit embarrassed i don't know about asking for advice and help from people and also didn't really know where to look so i think 
making sure that you have that supportive network around you is really important and unfortunately something well not unfortunately but I think if your family and friends don't have their own business they're unlikely to really understand what mm. it's like for you and I know I sometimes I felt frustrated when I've been trying to explain something to someone and I can just see that not in a nasty way but they you know they just don't get it or they're not even that interested because it's not something they can relate to advice and um, empathy from is really important so there's loads of like founder support groups out there and there's some really great ones so I think if you find one that resonates with you that can be um, super helpful and I think don't try to do anything on your own I mean I'm a solo founder but I'm always asking people for advice and I'm always grateful that I have because I think when things are going the worst is when I get too inside my own head I start to panic and stress out kind of block people out and then it just kind of snowballs whereas if you get a fresh perspective it can really help um, one keep you positive but also give you new ideas about where to go and how to look at something in a different way mm -hmm. good advice and and um, I wholeheartedly support that and yeah it's funny you're not the first person that I've spoke to that talks about the um, the reception you can get from friends and family um not being what you would hope it to be mm. and that's no that's no disservice to them like they still love you they still want to you but you know they're, they're never going to give you practical advice it's always going to be emotionally led advice mm. and, and i think yeah. that's the, the key isn't it that you know they 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 want you to be successful but they also in some way i spoke with a um uh uh psychologist about this that i met actually on wednesday and we talked about how uh families don't necessarily want what's best for you they want what's best for them through you yeah right it's kind of a, a controversial thing to say but essentially they want to make sure that you're going to cause them as least trouble as possible yes. yeah so, so if if you if you've got a stable career and a stable yeah. income it's like okay i'm good i don't need to worry about them they're fine right it's, it, it is kind of a self-serving interest with our loved ones that we want them to be okay more because it just makes it easier for us it's easy for you. yeah yeah no that <laughs> um, makes a lot of sense yeah. yeah in some ways so it's just it and that's fine that's just the way it is but you know it's because then you don't have to worry as much about mm. about the people you love but yeah also it's just like you said and it's not an area that particularly maybe interests them or they mm. don't understand so it is difficult to speak through your family and maybe get the support you know they're not going to say yeah go for it i'll support you mm. like you know what do you need like yeah, they're going to be dubious and they're going to be worried about you you know yeah. so um and then and uh yeah to your point about looking for advice i mean uh not to, to take the, the the opportunity to blow my own trumpet that's exactly, that's exactly what i do right I, and i love giving people free advice and helping them and, and one of the biggest things sometimes that like you sort of pointed out there is people get in their own heads and mm -hmm. overcomplicate things and there's so much information out there it's overwhelming mm -hmm. as to what the first steps you should you know be to take in this or that and majority of the time, the response I get once I give advice to people is, man, that was so obvious. Thank you so much. Like, why couldn't I see that? It was right in front of me. That's not yeah. the number one response I get from people. It's like, yeah, man, like, you just got to make it simple. Yeah. Stop, stop worrying about all these things. Just do that. It's yeah. easy. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I often bring it down to, to a very basic thing. Do whatever you need to do to make your business money. Yes. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Like, a business has to make money. So yeah. you know, if you're thinking about all these different things that you could do, it's like, well, look at them all. Which one makes your business money? That one? Okay, do that one. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Forget all of these ones. Do that one. <laughs> There's your answer, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, but great advice. Really great advice. And, and and that's why I hope to see you um, at some more of these networking events. Yeah, um, definitely. Actually get a meeting person. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I can bug you for more. So close. So yeah, close. Yeah, so close. There was a few people that I just, uh, you know, we were all said before, I'll like, oh, see you there. Yeah, yeah. you're going, I'll see you there. Didn't, didn't see him. And then others that I did that I didn't know were going and all sorts. Mm. So, um, but yeah, ne maybe next time we'll, we'll, we'll make uh, an effort to, to find yes. each other. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pop you a message. I'll say, I'll be there at the bar. Come and see yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, look, I, I'll let you go. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Um, no, it's been great. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, your time. My, my absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, keep up the amazing work. Um, I'm, I'm going to be watching closely, so, <laughs> <laughs> but in a supportive way, don't worry, not yeah. in a judgmental way, in a supportive yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope it all continues to, to go on, you know, upwards and grow and, you know, more people join and, and I'll put the details of where people can find you um, and Loom in the description of this video as well, so you can find it, but is there anyone else, you, anywhere else you want to direct people to or? Um, yeah, so we've got, so you can find uh, us online at loom.fashion, so super easy, and on Instagram at the loom app. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I'll let you go um, to, to enjoy your day, and thanks for putting up with me. Oh, um, no, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank my you. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Well, take care. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll speak soon. Yeah, speak soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for watching and or listening. Please like, subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.